0: Today I prepared something very special. It's a very big subject, it's a very broad subject. It extends way beyond our parsha. I found it to be very interesting and a very useful subject as well. And what I want to do is I want to examine the radically different roles that Moshe and Aaron played both in our parsha, in the Tabernacle, at the Sinai revelation, in shepherding the nation in general. And perhaps we can frame it like this. Moshe's name, of course, is omitted from our Parsha. Of course, he's the central character, the primary person who has to behave and has to act and has to create and has to make all the various vestments of our Parsha. The whole narrative of the Parsha is God instructing Moshe, but his name is not present. And more specifically, if you look at what Moshe has been asked to do, there's something very interesting here. Moshe is told to make all the garments for Aaron and his sons. That's Moshe's job. And it's not Aaron's job. And the question could be posed, why is this the domain of Moshe? The priesthood, after all, is Aaron's. Yet Moshe has to make the garments. Is that a good question? What does the Parsha podcast audience think? But there's more. Moshe is tasked not only with making the garments, but donning them on Aaron and his sons, he must clothe them. He must anoint them. He must inaugurate or initiate them into the priesthood. The verse tells us, twenty-eight forty-one: "You should clothe Aaron and his sons. You should anoint them, and you should fill their hands with." Rashi explains: "You should initiate them. You should inaugurate them." It's Aaron's clothing. It's his sons' clothing. But Moshe must anoint Aaron and his sons with a special oil. He must dress them. He must inaugurate them. And we're told he has to wash them and he has to bring all kinds of sacrifices, the one bull and the two rams and a bunch of matzos and all the other things he has to bring. And the blood goes on the altar and then he has to take the blood and put on the ears and the thumbs, the bit toes of Aaron and his sons. He has to wave the basket of matzos. There's a whole seven-day inauguration ceremony and it's all to initiate Aaron and his children but it's done, it's implemented by Moshe. So we have a whole parsha about Aaron and his sons, yet it is all directed to Moshe. Moshe does everything in the parsha. yet most of it is the domain of Aaron and his sons. It's Aaron's domain, but Moshe has to prime him, has to prep him, has to make the garments, has to don the garments, has to anoint them, has to inaugurate them. And I think in general, Moshe and Aaron are treated very differently. The two leaders of the people, but they're treated very differently. For example, Aaron gets all these special clothing, but Moshe doesn't have any special clothing. Isn't it fair? Shouldn't Moshe get some special clothing as well? And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, the only clothing explicitly mentioned in the Torah that Moshe wears is something we read about next week's parsha where Moshe must don a mask because his face is aglow and the people can't look at him. So Moshe's clothing that are described in the Torah are there to mask his greatness, yet Aaron's were there to display his greatness for honor, for grandeur. So Aaron is inaugurated, is initiated by Moshe, but Moshe doesn't seem to have any coronation. And that discrepancy is something we have to figure out why. Now, Aaron wears the special garments of the priesthood, and we read, of course, the description of what they looked like, but we're also told that Aaron has to carry the names of Israel upon him. So, for example, 28.12, the shoham stones on the shoulder pads, the verse tells us that Aaron should lift, so to speak, should carry the names of the children of Israel on his two shoulders for a remembrance. And the commentaries tell us that's there to evoke divine mercy for the Jewish people. And then several verses later, 28, 29, we talk about the miluim stones. That's in the breastplates. And we see very similar verbiage. Aaron shall carry the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment, and it should be a remembrance before God. Always. And the commentaries say, well, that's there to evoke peace amongst the Jewish people. It's a prayer almost where Aaron, the high priest, is petitioning God be good to the Jewish people. 2830, we read about the Urim and the Tumim. And again, we read the same thing. Aaron shall carry the judgment of the Jewish people upon his heart. And then in 2838 as well, we read about the sits. And again, there's very similar terminology where Aaron is carrying so to speak, he is bringing the petition of the Jewish people with the tzitz, with the plate that went on his forehead. Again, these vestments are symbolizing Aaron doing something on behalf of the Jewish people. Aaron is perpetually carrying the names of Israel for mercy, for peace, for acquittal, for expiation, and this is something that Moshe does not do. Now, there are more differences between Moshe and Aaron, they both have jobs, for example, in the tabernacle. And Aaron does all the service, the sacrifices, the offerings, lighting the menorah, the incense, tending to the showbreads. But Moshe also has a job in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle. What does Moshe do in the tabernacle? So we read last week, and this appears a few times, twenty five, twenty two. God says, I will meet you and I'll speak to you. From above the cover, from between the two cherubs on top of the ark of the testimony on top of the aron. So in the tabernacle, Aaron did sacrifices and Moshe communicated with God. Very different tasks, both in the same venue. So in short, Moshe and Aaron are omnipresent in our Parsha and in the tabernacle. And frankly, in the entire Torah, they're a team working together, but they have decidedly different roles. And that's the question I want to investigate. What is the nature of this great collaboration between Moshe and Aaron? What is Moshe's leadership role and responsibility? What is Aaron's leadership role and responsibility? What's the interplay between the two? And I want to develop an idea here together with my dear friends of the Parsha podcast. I think it's a big idea that's relevant to the whole Torah, to the stories of the Torah, and to the lessons of the Torah, and really to our whole lives. And as I'm researching this, I'm getting a sense that there is so much more there. The more you tug on the strands of this idea, the more you uncover. So let's go back to the first meeting between Moshe and Aaron. This is all the way back in chapter 4 of Exodus. Moshe had the episode of the burning bush. He's finally convinced by God to go. And the verse tells us, 427, God said to Aaron, go towards Moshe in the wilderness. And he went and they meet and they rendezvous. And they meet specifically, Behar on the mountain of God. And Rashi tells us they meet at Sinai. And there's an amazing midrash over here. The Midrash quotes a verse in Job. The verse describes the voice of God being wondrous. The voice of God is wondrous. Asks the Midrash, when was the voice of God wondrous? And it gives us an answer. When God wanted to send Moshe on a mission to go and redeem the Jewish people to save them from Egypt, but Moshe was a Midian. And he didn't want to go before Pharaoh by himself. So God appeared to him and told him, go and return to Egypt. And that message, that, so to speak, voice of God, that prophecy, split into two. To two portions and to two different statements. And Moshe in Midian heard one half of the statement. And he was told, go to Egypt to go save the Jewish people. And Aaron, who was in Egypt, heard the other half of that same message and he heard go towards Moshe in the wilderness. And all the people in between the two, they didn't hear a single sound. This prophecy is wondrous because this one prophetic message was split into two, half was heard by Moshe and half by Aaron. I think there's a very deep idea here God is saying one prophetic message and the content of that for Moshe was go to Egypt for Aaron the content of that same message was go and leave Egypt and go meet Moshe at Sinai this is one message Aaron heard his part of the message Moshe heard his part of the message. And both, apparently, were equally necessary to facilitate the Exodus. Now, there's an obvious problem here. Do you see it? Moshe has to go to Egypt. And of course he has to go to Egypt because that's where the Jews are. That's where they're enslaved. And that's where he has to go save them from. That's where the redemption has to happen. But why did Aaron have to rendezvous with Moshe? Couldn't they have met in Egypt? It seems like it was just a matter of convenience to meet halfway and then for Aaron to just turn around and return to Egypt with Moshe. Yet this, we're told in the Midrash, is one prophecy and it's split in half. Evidently, Aaron joining Moshe was as critical to the Exodus as Moshe heading to Egypt who led the Jews out of Egypt? Of course it was God, but who was his emissary? So we would say it was Moshe. In this Mishosh, we find that no, it wasn't Moshe. It was the tag team of Moshe plus Aaron. Moshe alone could not have done it. The message of Moshe, go to Egypt and go save the Jewish people, Half of that same message was Aaron, go join Moshe. He needs you, you two together, to get this job done. It's a very big insight here. And let's go a step further. What exactly does it mean that Moshe and Aaron are a tag team? They have to be together. So the Midrash reveals an insight. This is a different Midrash but it's on the same verse. Aaron is told, go towards Moshe in the wilderness, and they go and they rendezvous at Sinai. Again, this is chapter four of Exodus. Says the Midrash, this meeting of Moshe and Aaron at Sinai, before they go together down to Egypt to go save the Jewish people, this meeting is a fulfillment of the verse in Psalms, chesed, Kindness, the MS and truth met. There is a meeting between truth and kindness. Explains the midrash. Kindness, that's a reference to Aaron. And he quotes a verse. The verse in, in Deuteronomy says that Aaron is a man of kindness. And emes and Truth, that is Moshe, and he quotes a verse that effect as well. And therefore when the verse says that kindness is And truth, meet, that is fulfilled when Moshe and Aaron met at Sinai. Moshe is truth. Aaron is kindness. And they're a team. And truth and kindness must be bound together to accomplish the Exodus. So we took it one step deeper. Now we have to go a second step deeper. What does this mean? What does it mean that Moshe is truth and Aaron is kindness, and the only way the Exodus could have happened is if truth and kindness met? What does that mean? So perhaps to explain, let's go to a third Midrash. The Midrash back in Genesis tells us that when God wanted to create Adam, There was a big dispute amongst the heavenly angels as to whether or not it was a good idea. And the angel of kindness said Adam should be created. Humanity should exist because humanity is kind. But the angel of truth said humanity should not be created because humanity is full of lies. It's full of falsehood. And therefore, kindness is arguing yes to create and truth is arguing nay to create. So what did God do, continues the Midrash? God took truth, he took emes to truth, and he thrust it, he threw it down to the earth. And it quotes a verse, And you threw or you sent truth to the land. So if you're following, we have this meeting of truth and kindness of Moses and Aaron. And we're told in this other Midrash that the creation of the world only happened because truth was thrown to the ground. This world, i.e. humanity, always had kindness, but we didn't have truth. And the way the Almighty facilitated creation was by taking truth and throwing it down to the ground, bringing it to this world. Kindness is from this world. Truth comes from above. It was thrown down from heaven. The only justification for creation is that truth from above will be thrown down below. Aaron is kindness. He is here. Moses, Moshe, is truth. He comes from above and was thrown down here below. This, I think, gives us an outline of the respective roles of Moshe and Aaron. Moshe is represented by truth. Moshe represents something that came down from above. Moshe is supernatural. His existence is not to be expected in this world. His existence here is unnatural. But it's existentially vital because without truth, this world of lies cannot exist. Moshe, who represents truth, can ascend to heavens above because that's where the truth is most comfortable. When he's around people here, he has to wear a mask. It's quite unnatural for Moshe to be here. Aaron is entirely different. Aaron is from this world. Kindness is indigenous to this world. And Aaron is the greatest manifestation of kindness. And these two forces together, when kindness and truth unite, that is the special combination that creates the magic. Each one on their own is incomplete. The unvarnished truth of Moshe has to be sweetened by the kindness of Aaron. The unbridled kindness of Aaron has to be moderated by the truth of Moshe. When the two unite... We have a touch point between heaven and earth. We can only have Torah if we have both together. When Moshe brings the truth down from above, and Aaron gathers the kindness from below and dedicates it to God above, he elevates it. When truth and kindness touch, when the worlds meet, that's when Torah happens. And I suspect that this distinction threads throughout every difference that we see between Moshe and Aaron. Let's see how. Moshe and Aaron rendezvous at Sinai specifically. Kindness and truth meet. Sinai is where the Torah is given. That's the point in which Moshe and Aaron need each other. Without Moshe, without truth, Torah cannot leave the heavens above. Without Aaron, without kindness... Torah cannot be absorbed by earth below. Just as when the Almighty initially created the world, it was a mashup of truth and kindness, when the Almighty completed the world's creation with the giving of the Torah at Sinai, it required a fusion of truth and kindness. Sinai is the crossroads from which Moshe needs Aaron. And their initial meeting, it wasn't just a matter of convenience, it was a dry run for the Sinai revelation. They had to meet specifically at Sinai. And together they go to Egypt. And we read in chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, the description of the dual roles of Moshe and Aaron. God says to Moshe, Behold, I placed you as a master of a pharaoh, but Aaron will be your prophet. You should speak all that I tell you, and Aaron, your brother, will convey that message to Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And there's an amazing Rashi over here on Aaron's communication. Moshe, you speak what I tell you. And your brother Aaron will intermediate that message and adapt it to the ears of Pharaoh. Aaron is to Moshe as a prophet is to God. When God shares a message that is only decipherable by a prophet, the prophet intermediates the message and adapts it to the ears of the people. And the same thing here, Moshe shares the message and it's Aaron's job to take the unadulterated message of Moshe and translate it and make it palatable and pleasant for the ears of the audience. Moshe brings the truth, the prophecy, the Torah from God here, and Aaron is the distributor. He's the last mile. He's the prophet. He's interpreting The words of Moshe to the nation and to Pharaoh. Aaron, the paragon of kindness, makes the words of Moshe tasty and palatable in the ears of the listeners. And then we have the Sinai revelation. And that demanded that the nation ascend to the level of Moshe and Aaron. At Sinai, the nation must have both characteristics of truth and of kindness. And in fact, Rashi tells us that there were two unique phenomena present at Sinai that weren't present beforehand and not subsequently. Unlike all the other trips that the nation undertook over the course of the 40 years in the wilderness, the trip to Sinai was done entirely amidst repentance. They departed with repentance and when they arrived at Sinai, they were still repenting. They had the truth. They had that relationship with God. That was on the level of Moshe. And their commitment to each other, their kindness was also at an unprecedented level. They were like one man with one purpose. At Sinai, the nation channeled Moshe and truth with repentance, and they channeled Aaron, the paradigm of kindness, with their interpersonal bond to one another. At Sinai, The nation achieved one mosaic stature and one Aaronatic stature. And with their Moshe and Aaron secured, with their truth and kindness secured, they were able to get the Torah. Let's look at the tabernacle. Moshe and Aaron both have roles to play in the tabernacle. But their respective roles are going to reflect their broader leadership roles amongst the people. Aaron's there to take the prayers and the sacrifice and the names of the Jewish people up. He takes the things that are here that are in this world, the world of kindness, if you will, and he elevates them to the Almighty. And Moshe has the opposite role. He is there to draw the prophecy from above, to draw the truth from above, and to bring it down here. Moshe is symbolic of the truth that was thrown down to the earth and therefore he has this direct line to heaven and he could bring what is present over there down below. So the tabernacle like Sinai is this crossroads between these two worlds and Moshe and Aaron are both here at the crossroads Moshe bringing what is above down below and Aaron taking the things that are here and elevating them above. And this appears everywhere that I look. So, for example, the miracles of Moshe and Aaron. The Talmud tells us there were three miracles that were ever present in the wilderness. One in the merit of Moses, that's the manna. One in the merit of Aaron, that's the clouds of glory. And one in the merit of Miriam, the well of Miriam. And if you compare the miracle of Moshe to the miracle of Aaron, we see the same pattern. One is a heavenly miracle and one is a miracle that's around us. Moshe... His miracle is the man that comes from heaven, that comes from the world of truth and reigns down below, similar to the way the Almighty took truth and threw it down. And Aaron, his miracle is those clouds of glory that are here, that are encircling this world, the world where kindness exists. Moshe would not be able to operate alone. He needed Aaron to be his quote-unquote prophet. The exodus, led by Moshe, could only happen with Aaron, who joined him at Sinai. And our Parsha shows that Aaron's greatness, too, needed Moshe. Just as Moshe's truth needed Aaron's kindness, Aaron's role must be overseen and moderated by Moshe. Moshe dressed him, Moshe prepped him, Moshe inaugurated him, Moshe anointed him. Of course, Moshe's off to the side. His name is omitted. But he has to be guiding the kindness of Aaron. It had to be like that. And in fact, in next part, we're going to read about what happened with Aaron when Moshe wasn't there. What happens when kindness is operating alone without truth to moderate it? That's when the golden calf happened. And of course, we're not putting any blame on Aaron. But it is noteworthy that under his stewardship, when Moshe was gone, the golden calf happened. Kindness alone, unmoored by the unshakable truth of Moshe, can be quite devastating. And I suspect that this explains all the differences that we see between the two. I think the garments are a function of this world. It's for Aaron. It's not for Moshe. The inauguration, well, that's done for Moshe in heaven. It's not done for him over here. The Maharal, in fact, even says that Messiah is also going to be comprised of this duality. There's going to be Elijah the prophet, and there's going to be the king Messiah. Messiah will fulfill the role of Moshe, and Elijah will fulfill the role of making it palatable, the role of Aaron. The role to make sure that there's not going to be any disputes, to bring those that are distant, close, like Aaron was wont to do, to restore the hearts of fathers on their sons and the hearts of sons on their fathers. And if you look, in fact, in next week's parsha at how Moshe and Aaron respectively are going to be dealing with the crisis of the golden calf, you see that Moshe is operating with the level of truth and Aaron with a level of kindness. Now, there is a bonus that I want to share with y'all, and that's the following question. Is there anyone who was able to flourish alone? Moshe needed Aaron. Aaron needed Moshe. Either one on their own will be insufficient. I feel like there is at least one person in the Torah that was able to operate, not only operate, but flourish alone. That's Joseph. And check this out. In the second verse of Parshas Vayechi, when Israel, when Jacob is about to die, and he calls over his son Joseph, and he begs him to make sure that Jacob is going to be interred in the land of Israel, not in the land of Egypt, he tells him as follows, place your hand under my thigh and do with me kindness and truth. The two characteristics of Moshe And of Aaron, the kindness of Aaron, the truth of Moshe, are both embodied by one man, Joseph. How did Joseph operate so successfully as a one-man show? The answer is that he had both the kindness of Aaron and the truth of Moshe. And I think this framework has a lot of lessons for us. We need help in accomplishing great things. Often, accomplishing great things is a two-man or a two-woman job. Great things happen when diverse skills and diverse skill sets unite to create beautiful, enduring things. And like many Torah principles, this is true even in mundane settings. For example, you have the concept of the user experience versus the back end. Getting them both is critical great products don't sell if you build it they won't come the packaging the interpreting the communication the messaging the branding those things matter immensely there's other ways to phrase this you have to have street smarts and book smarts you need them both you need visionaries and implementers you need scholars who make discoveries and popularizers it's healthy for children to have a father and a mother. The classic yeshiva is led by the Rosh Yeshiva and the Mashiach. When introverts and extroverts work together, they can create beautiful things. Our spiritual agenda is love of God and fear of God. It's truth and kindness, and we need them both. And not just that, our truth needs some kindness, and our kindness needs some truth. In fact, the Talmud tells us that if you have Torah, if you have just truth but no kindness, it's as if you don't believe in God. What is expected of us is indeed immense. To perfect ourselves, to incorporate truth and kindness into our lives. But as we always say here in the Parsha podcast, we don't need to fret about it. One step at a time, make sure our trajectory is heading in the right direction. And we have a great time along the way. And I thank you for listening. This is the Parsha Podcast. This is Rabbi Yacobo coming to you from the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. And let's get to this week's A&Q. So Moshe is told in our Parsha that he must make all the garments, all the vestments of the high priest. But he doesn't do it alone, of course. He has to speak to all the people who are filled with wisdom, and they shall make the garments of Aaron for sanctity. This is the third verse of our Parsha. Moshe is told, Speak to all the people who are filled with wisdom in their heart, and they shall make the garments for Aaron. So who is conscripted to do this? Read the verse. It says every single person who had the ability to do it, who was endowed with the wisdom to do this, was enlisted for this effort. How exactly did Moshe know who had the talent, who had the wisdom, who had the skills to craft the garments of Aaron? How did he suss out competence? And again, You can't say, oh, find enough people for the job. The verse is clear. Speak to all the people who have the ability to do it. And if Moshe says, hey, I just need five people, let's check out five people, find five people who have it, apparently, at least the way I read the verse, Moshe would not have fulfilled his responsibility. His responsibility was to find everyone who had those skills. How did he do it? That's this week's A&Q. If you have an answer to this question, if you could figure out what process Moshe used to find every person who was endowed with the ability, with the wisdom of their heart, to craft the garments of the priests, send me an answer, RabbiWallBeJimah.com. Let's get to last week's A&Q. And her question was that if the Almighty made the menorah miraculously, why did he show Moshe the menorah and fire on the side of the mountain? Just have him chuck the hunk of gold into the fire and be done with it. So I got an email from a longtime listener named Shoshana. And she shared with me that she had posed this question at her Shabbos table to see if anyone in the family wanted to answer. And her six-year-old son said something amazing. Her son said that the Almighty showed Moshe the menorah image so that when it was done, Moshe could see that it was done right. The listeners of the Parsha podcast have very brilliant six-year-old sons. And then Shoshana added her own answer, which I found to be totally brilliant, and that is that I'm going to read a quote here. I think that the Almighty initially showed Moshe the image of the menorah so that Moshe could pray more specifically for the menorah to come out the correct way. I believe our prayers are more powerful when we can imagine, when we can envision the outcome we are desiring. I find this very fascinating because, first of all, it tells us that the miracle didn't happen on its own. Moshe didn't just throw it into the fire and whatever comes out, that is what will emerge. Moshe had to pray to evoke that miracle. But moreover, you have to know exactly what you're asking for. When we pray, we shouldn't just pray, oh, let, let, let good things happen. No, we should be very specific and targeted. And then for Moshe has to know ahead of time what exactly to pray for. He sees the image. And then when the gold is thrown in, he's able to have the proper intention. And thus, the proper menorah can emerge. A very powerful lesson, of course, for us is to be specific about what we want, to know ahead of time what we want, and to pray for that. And of course, when the imadi answers any prayer, that in itself is a miracle. Know what you want and ask exactly for what you want. And we thank the wonderful Parsha Podcast audience for submitting Answers this week, as I do every week, and we thank you all. Have an amazing rest of your week, a fantastic Shabbos, and take care until, please God, we will get together again next week.